Welcome to He's Gone, But the Money's Not, the podcast that's all about empowering women and families to take control of their finances. I'm Nicole Roberts, a financial advisor with over a decade of experience. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of two important aspects of our lives, death and money. Each episode, we either talk through financial principles or have conversations with widows who bravely share their stories and wisdom. Why? Because statistically, most women will find themselves in a position where they become the sole financial decision maker in their family. It's time to build financial literacy and confidence. So whether you're a widow, someone preparing for the future, or simply curious about the intersection of finances and life's uncertainties, you're in the right place. Let's dive into today's episode of He's Gone, But the Money's Not. Welcome back to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Kimberly. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Oh, absolutely. And we are excited, looking forward to hearing your story. So we don't know you that well, so it'll be uh, news to us as well. So tell us about yourself. Who are you and, and what is your story? It's a good story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, My name is Kimberly and I live in Minneapolis and I'm 51. My husband died. um, It'll be 18 months in three days. It'll be 18 months. Oh, wow. He he was a principal, an elementary principal, and he had been an educator for 30 years. Um, And we married. It was May 31st. uh, 2021 when when we married and he was dead by suicide on October 10th of 2021. Never in that journey had he shared with me that he was struggling with his mental health. Never in that journey had he um, disclosed about prior suicide ideation 13 years ago. And you know what? Neither did the family, and they were all there with front row seats to that, and it was such a family secret, and that's what sometimes mental health is and stigma, the stigma around suicide and suicide ideation is, and so I understand it. That doesn't make it okay, but I understand wow. I understand it. My gosh, what a, a big surprise. That's, that's such a shock. I was the only one shocked. I mean, I think everybody was sad and I, they were probably in that, oh my gosh, what, not again, kind of vibe. But me, uh, it was just straight up shock. And, you know, at a time when everybody else should be celebrating, you know, you just got married, it is still summer, um, you know, because we're teachers, we're like living for summers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's why I'm like, it's still summer. What are you ruining my summer for? <laughs> but it was, it was really brutal and very hard. And there have been a lot of financial lessons learned in this journey. I want to go back um, a little bit. So tell us how you met your husband and, and how, um, well, yeah, all of that I, went down. I think we, I think we've met a different teacher conferences. I know I've been a presenter at them and I know he's been to them. So we're just going to pretend that we met at a teacher conference, but we just didn't know it. But we really met on, (laughs) but we really met on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is funny. (laughs) 
So you met on Facebook and then and then what we happened just, after that? We just dated and that was the end of that. It was COVID time, you know, so everybody was like, you know, creating their little pods, right? And yeah. We just, we just created our little pod. We just started dating on the 31st. It was a great, great first date. It was at 6.30 in the morning at a beach here in town. And, wow. um, and it was um, Memorial Day. Um, and it was just, it was just a nice day. And that was, that was the end of that. We just continued dating and our plan was to continue dating until we die. You mentioned that you didn't notice or you didn't really know about his mental health concerns or, or challenges. You had like no signs or pointers either. Is that right? Not initially. No, not initially, but I think, um, had I, cause we didn't live together. And so like, I, I remember our conversations as throughout we were, when we were dating and, and whatever. And, and, and he'd say, Oh, geez, I just didn't sleep so well. I know it didn't sleep well. A bummer. Make sure you take your melatonin. Okay. Yeah. Take your melatonin and maybe just like not do much technology late into the night or turn off the TV, read a book, you know, like really basic because I didn't understand what he meant when he said I did not sleep last night but then soon into our marriage I learned what he meant when he said because we never spent Mm -hmm. that significant amount of time together and so like that so I was like whoa dude you really don't sleep what's going on right and so um, I feel like then I became aware of what that meant and he received um, administrative feedback from the staff um, and there was like a little glitch with a little hire that he wanted to do so he was being inundated with a lot of stress and he was not able to uh, manage that stress well and did not communicate that he was not managing stress well. Mm-hmm. Such a, a big change happened so fast um, into your marriage, right? Six okay. months in, you said? Uh, no, four months and 10 days. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. So so after he passed away, I mean, had you even like merged finances yet? I mean, you're both, you know, we have long process. careers in, in the process. Okay, tell us about we that. And so um, we did you know, where you put each other on your banks, right? And we had been able to figure out, we did ours, mine, my banking first. Um, we had been trying to get to merge um, when we'd been trying to, to merge his bank account, put my name on his bank account. But every time, it was back in that time frame when, when some banks you still had to have appointments and go to the bank and make an appointment instead of just walk in and, you know, sign your name. So we had made several different appointments, specifically with the bank he used, um, Wells Fargo, and he had been unable to go to those appointments because instead he was in the hospital. And so there was never a point when, in the four months and 10 days of our marriage, I was able to put my name on his bank account. Wow. I'm sure that caused some some complications later, huh? <laughs> so you were, were there other things you were trying to do to merge finances or were you planning to keep them separate? Or 
we were able to do beneficiaries, which um, is a great step. I think uh, it was a really important step, but I did not know how important it was at the time. Yeah. And was this on like your yeah. 401k retirement yeah. accounts or? And I became the beneficiary to a lot of his finances. He was really good at keeping track of all his things and he had a lot of things going on. He also had set aside accounts for his two biological children um, with um, like some retirement funds and whatevs, but that was not my money. That was the kid's money. So um, it was initially great. And we even um, worked on our wills and we readjusted our wills to include all of our four kids and um and that was great. We feel, felt really confident about where we were going with that. But it took a big dive when he died. Um, yeah. He did not tell his children that he had altered the will to include mine. So that was a shock for them. I did not, re- real, I did not think it was my job to tell his kids that, oh, by the way, your dad and I changed the will. Coming from a stepmom, that just doesn't sound right. And so what is his job? He is supposed to have had these conversations, you know, just wanted you you to know now that Kimberly and I are married, we have made some financial changes. Mm, 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 mm. This is what is still yours. Mm, 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 And here are your beneficiaries. mm, mm. But Kimberly is now the lead beneficiary on, mm, right. He did not have that conversation with them at all. And so for them, when he died, it was a shock and his his twin brother, you know, was trying to figure out who got the money. It was like a game of like Game of Thrones. Where did the money go? Who's got the money? And the kids found out that way that their dad had changed things around, and then they were mad. Then they believed that I, um, I killed their dad because for them, Kimberly and Dad got married. Dad died by suicide. Kimberly has all the money. That's the sentence that was formed in their head. Well, I was blamed. I am blamed. I'm still being blamed for their dad's death. Um, And in the vision of she just wanted all the money. And it's really hard. And it's tremendously taxing on my spirit. Um, But that is actually not what happened. Because at a meeting with the kids that we had to do when their dad died, um, and when they found out prior to that, that everything had been changed, they were livid and they took, it took a few days for them to, um, want to connect and talk to me. We did it with a whole group of family. So it wasn't just me against them, but it went, it felt like me against them. It was my dad and I, and my husband's two brothers and his two children and their two wives. And that was really, really hard. Um, And so I negotiated with the children that we would change the will because they were going to get a lawyer to say that their dad was legally, mentally incapable of making these decisions. And it was not him who had made this decision. It was probably me. I was making financial decisions with somebody who was really unable to make financial decisions. That's what they were going to say, which was not true. And so I did not feel like dragging my husband's name around, calling him a mentally incapable person 
And so we're just going to change the will then here. You have the whole, here you go, have the whole estate. Here's the house. You can sell it, pocket the money. What else? My kids don't need the money from that. Fine. I don't care. We need to move on. But it, it, we tried to divide up the estate then, not the, not the estate, but the other beneficiaries so that they would not, they, I wanted them to see that I was not the person that they think I am. And so I, gave up other things. One of the things that I had given up was something called the MSRS, which is a a Minnesota retirement savings system here. Brian had had that. Some school districts give that to their employees. In the school district he was in, that's what he received. And now in the documentation that we set up to go to probate, it was stated that the student, his children would get the MSRS, but it can't be done that way. And we didn't know that when we made up the documentation to take to probate. And so they thought I was stealing money from them because I was not giving them the MSRS monies, which is not true. I was trying to get give them the MSRS monies. It just couldn't be done. And so I even like tried to think of creative ways where they could receive the money in due time, but um, that was not an option that they wanted. And so like to make them beneficiaries on my account and only them. And when I die, then you get the money. That's not what they wanted. And so then they got a lawyer and, um, to sue me. And then, um, I, through the lawyer, I worked with the lawyer as diligently and respectfully as I could. Um, and then I worked with my financial guy for the teacher's savings account which was a different, that one's the 401k. And that is what the kids then, we changed it around so that I, I, I just have to keep the MSRS because that can't be changed. But my 401k guy was able to negotiate that change between myself and, and my husband's two children. And that is that was the end of that. And I hope to hear no more of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. What a turn of events and especially dealing with that after your husband just died. I mean, that's, it was, it was, it was was horrific upon horrific upon horrific upon horrific followed by horrific. And it, it doesn't feel horrific right now, but it sure did a few weeks ago still. When you were getting married, did you guys ever talk about doing a, a prenuptial agreement or no. if not, why is there a reason or you just never, it never got brought up or because we said that we, we, that just wasn't on our radar. It just was not something we had both come from divorced families. And so uh-huh. we we were intentional about being careful about ourselves and our, our own, the sake the, the sacredness of our own marriage and trying to, you know, beginning the steps of establishing, right. Just, we were, it was, it was like, there, were, uh, there just wasn't time. There just wasn't time. Did you, um, I, I guess too, with a prenup, it's, it's like a plan to make sure that your assets go to the right kids. But were you really hoping to like fully merge your lives and your finances and kind of become like one family unit or what was your thought process? Yeah, that was the plan. And by family unit, we meant 
we mean he and I, our children are all adults. Gotcha. And so, you know, the health savings account was when, you know, that would have been for us as we get older. For mm-hmm. a while, you know, it was, it, the kids had their own. Right. So after he passed away, what, I mean, you had like just recently been married. So what was like the financial setup after he passed away? Did you have to like figure out his bank account and, and like his income was gone? And I assume, so how did you work that out? It was insane. And, and like pausing to even think about it makes me remember the the trauma of everything and how many decisions you have to make when somebody dies. That's just crazy. How do you deal with grief and trauma and then have to make these really life changing decisions all the same time? It's really hard. So um, the biggest thing was to sell the house and I sold the house for the, for the kids. I had to open up a estate account with the bank, put the money in when they got the money from that. So that was said and done. When it came to his own banking account, um, one of his children believed that they were responsible for the finances. My money was going into that bank account. So no, <laughs> you're not responsible for that. That's me. That's my job. That's, that's no, you at that time he was 20. You're not, res- I'm 51. You're not overseeing my bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you, I have you, have you lost your mind? he would say that is exactly what my dad wanted me to do. No, it is not what his dad wanted him to do, but he was basing it off of what his dad and his brothers do for their father, for this child's grandfather. The boys manage their dad's account. The boys manage their mom's accounts. The parents really don't know what their finances are because the brothers took care of everything. And that's where he was getting his framework from. And so to that degree, I understand, but it was a little bit of a finagling. And, um, you know, I just, I was a executor of the state. I was so, no, it's not, you're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. Um, I tried to work with my brother-in-law while my husband was alive, but in the hospital, um, to be able to be, um, legally, like before my husband died, like the legally executor of the state, I forget what that's called. Um, the trustee. Yeah. And I, we were going to, my husband and I were going to make it. So my, my sister and myself, my husband and his brother were all going to be like trustees of the monies between Brian and myself in case something happens so that there's voice and equity. Right. His brother found out about that somehow and contacted somehow. I don't understand how it all happened. And I'm not going to ask questions because I really can't hold onto this stuff too much longer. But he contacted my financial guy for this. And it's like, you know, Brian is mentally incapable. He is just a mess right now. He should not be making these big decisions. But the reason I was trying and he was trying to make these big decisions because we knew that something was wrong and I wanted everything to be okay when everything was not okay. I wanted there to be a system of, well, at least we have this in place so that we can, but that was taken away from us, from me, from my husband because of his brother. And so, um, I think some degree of remorse about that, 
because when Brian died, his brother tried hard to work alongside me for the sake of Brian's two children to make sure that Brian's kids got what they, what he believed they deserved. Got it. Wow. Um, so when he passed away or he was in the hospital for some time before he passed, mm-hmm. what happened after that? Did you have like, how did you pay for his funeral? There so many things come up, you know, that first week expenses, but you know, funerals are expensive. How did you handle all of that? Well, I paid for the cremation. Um, his brother paid for the funeral. It was at his brother's church. And so I'm, I think they got some things for like free there. I don't know who his brother paid for what. I don't know. Um, most of it I felt like I don't know because I was just a guest at the funeral. And my husband was so well known. And we had just been married. And many people did not know that we had just been married. Like, uh huh. Because it wasn't wasn't a Facebook wedding. You know, it wasn't wasn't an Instagram wedding. It was a private wedding between us. so there was people there at the funeral like, oh my God, he got married. <laughs> um, but it was really hard because I was just a guest at that funeral. I, it was, I felt like it was all, and it should have been, it was Brian's funeral. It was all Brian's people, but I was new to the family and new to his friendship groups. And, um, yeah. and then the family just made it so that I just, it was just, it was just the feeling of being a guest. So I really don't know a lot of the details. Gotcha. So when he passed away, um, you were you living in his house at the time, or or we were married. And that's and the house, and that's the house had to sell. Yeah, and I still. Yeah. I mean, I tried to. I tried to help this his family understand everything that I had to do to be married to their 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 brother, their father. You know, I I sold. I I was renting my home, so I you know, moved out. We had to merge furniture. So I sold a lot and Brian got rid of a lot to get what we have. Um, you know, moving out, moving in, unpacking, trying to live. But then by, by July 22nd, so six weeks after we were married, he was in the hospital and then he spent the rest of the summer in and out of the hospital. And when he died, he was under hospital, um, hospital, watch watch yeah gotcha so wow so pretty much very i didn't realize that so so soon after you're married it was he started to really struggle and Mm -hmm. and deal with these health challenges and then wow so when he passed away i mean you had been living on your own income for so long Mm -hmm. was that a shock to you or was were you totally fine because you were used to doing that before yeah that part that part was fine. Like, Oh, I know how to do this. I can do this. That's, mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. I've always had that. No, I'll just figure it out. Kind of vibe. Um, I can figure it out. It just wasn't easy. And it took a lot of hoop jumping and, um, a lot of trying to work with Brian's brother, because I think that's what my, I think that's a respectful thing to do to honor my husband is to work res- as respectfully as I can with his brother and his children on things. And so that was where my efforts went. 
Of course. That's, that's so important, I think, to try and, and work with the family and, and deal with, with them. Even though you're so new to the family, it's, it had to be hard. How cool. soon were you out of the house? I mean, like, like we said, it's a big change, right? But then to have to move out of the house, how soon did that happen? Well, it's immediate because it, 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 it um, a few things. One, it didn't feel like my home quite yet because we had just been there. Right? Two, uh-huh. I was reminded that it wasn't my home. Um, and all this does not belong to me. And third, my husband had tried to die by suicide um, really close to the house, and I could see it. I didn't want to see I that. See. Yeah. And fourth was the home had a mortgage of 2400 monthly which is not something I can afford on my own. Uh-huh. And since there was no money coming in and um, his children were not asked to pay mortgage, you know, to live there, yeah, it would have all fallen to me. And so what happened was the day that he died, I just didn't ever sleep in that house again. Um, wow. Two days later, I moved out my daughter's volleyball team from the high school and their families came and got things out of the house that I could say were mine. I took nothing from the house that I, that were my husband's except for three shirts. I had already had the ties, these ties out of the house because he was suicidal. And that is, uh, I had to remove all sorts of things. little things like that the ties were already at the house so like it took three shirts and the rest the rest was there because I did not want to be accused of stealing a thing totally and so when when widow friends are like oh it's so hard to go through my husband's stuff I don't have that Mm -hmm. fine yeah, you because you were out so quickly and and moved on. Do you feel like that helped in some ways, or was it like harder to just get yeah, torn no, away? I, so quickly? I could not have. I, I could not have. It could not have. I could not imagine being there one more day without it. It was hard when he wasn't. It was hard. I already knew what it felt like when he wasn't there because he wasn't there for. Um, well, like like I said, six weeks is all he was really there for. Yeah of our marriage and so I spent a lot of the summer trapping and like I couldn't live my life and so I was happy to not be there totally one of his children's like when they you know because we legally went through the process where the children are going to assume the uh in the entirety of the estate right um and so at the probate uh, one of the children's like so can you tell me a little bit more about like is Kimberly supposed to be helping pay for the house? Who's paying for this right now? And the probate judge was like, you? You wanted the house? You pay for the house? You get the house? Pay for the house. Misunderstanding uh, about some of those things. And and I think that that's attributed to their um, youth and their, um, their view of the world. Sure. 
How soon after his passing were you in probate court? January 2nd, 3rd, something like that. So it took about four months to get into the court. And you're so like grieving, I'm sure, during this time. Was was court a hard experience to go in and deal with the probate stuff? It was one of those vibes of, can we just get this over? Can we just get this over with, please? There's, I just, to me, everything was cut and dry. I, I know I took my punches, cut my losses. I put on my Band-Aid. I'm tired of triaging the situation. None of this helps me to heal from trauma. None of this mm-hmm. is going to help me heal from grief. I need to, I need for this part of the journey to be done so I can really authentically work on healing my heart. Wow, I love that because like money is a great gift and it, it can help in so many ways live your life, etc. But when you're hurting like that, it's not the solution. It's, it's kind of what you're saying, right? You learned oh, that. It's not, it's not the solution. Like the hurting from the situation of the grief and the trauma and the way my husband died and the lies the lies and, and, and lies of omission, of omission it's still a lie you still lied to me yeah um that is something i have to work through more than where's all the money going that is a problem but it wasn't the worst one even though it really could have been because there's so much so many problems for me the money for my husband's death was irrelevant because it causes more angst than it that it made me feel like it was a blessing yeah no, that makes I, sense it was a pain totally and it caused strained relationships and all sorts and, of things right right and i really do believe that if you're going to chase money as a form of happiness you're not going to ever be happy Mm-hmm. So I didn't, like, I've lived a whole life of not chasing money. That doesn't mean I'm poor. I have my own money. I just mm-hmm. don't, I just don't live for money. I don't work. I don't want to, I don't want to work, 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 work and make money 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 but have no life and have no relationships with people so that's like my whole life has been like that so it wasn't really a big stretch for me to go okay fine here you go because i really believe that what is meant for us as a blessing is going to be meant for us as a blessing and there's nothing that can take that away and so it wasn't it was a it was a horrible painful process it was gutting, but that's, that is something I had to work through because I knew I wasn't going to be able to stay in this space for long. I had to figure this out. I needed to get my heart right about money. I need to get my mind right about the situation. And when I did that, everything didn't get easier, but choices became clearer. Totally. After he passed away, did you feel like 
anything with your finances changed? I mean, you're in a state of grieving. So sometimes widows I've talked to make changes with their, with the way that they spend or they kind of do, I can't remember what we think someone termed as like, uh, just grief spending or that kind of thing. Did you experience any of that with money after you passed? Not really. And here's why, um, I, I just am a saver. So, um, my hope and dream is to just save, save, save. And now I have to rebuild my 401k. So I'm glad that I'm a saver and I can. Yeah. I really, it's really a blessing to, for, for me to have, you know, essentially 51 years of being a saver so that when I really need to, I can, and I have to, so I will. The one thing that I didn't receive was the life insurance policy for two reasons. One, because it wasn't, we had not even talked about that in our financial discussions. Like we were getting to through, you know, two things. We were trying to take things off the off the list of what we need to do financially, blah, blah, blah. And, and for most people, it's a slow journey, right? It's like, Oh, okay, well now we'll do this. Okay. Well now we'll do that. And then we'll do this. You have your lifetime to figure it all out, but we didn't. So, um, I feel like, um, in the case of life insurance, we hadn't gotten that changed over. It was still in his prior wife's name from oh my gosh. 12 years ago. So she didn't get the money because time had gone by and they had not been married that, you know, there was like yeah. a, time, a legally time-framed thing in there, right? So if maybe his kids got the money, also maybe they didn't, but I don't know. And also I don't, I'm not going to ask. That's not going to do me any favors by asking. Yeah. <laughs> there is the possibility that there wasn't anything either. But again, I'm not asking because I just can't, I just can't handle that. I just need to heal and I need to move on. And focusing on what I lost does not help me go forward. I feel like you were on a great trajectory. Like you mentioned when you got married with trying to merge everything and get your estate set up correctly. And of course, these these trials and challenges in your life came so quickly. But if you could go back, would you do anything differently? Even though you you did really a good job, what would you do? This is what I would would tell people now. Uh, You get married, you have blended families, right? That is a discussion that you really need. Do not keep secrets from your children. Do not. It is detrimental to them and hurtful to those left behind when people find out things that you knew. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, um, I think that there are some beneficiaries that should not have been changed. I think maybe we want to look at what can stay the same and then build up onto that. So what I would have recommended differently is, what I recommend differently is, Maybe you don't change all the, because it really, it, maybe you do, maybe you don't know yourselves to that ourselves be true here, right? So it might not work yeah. out for you. But what if you had a whole brand new life insurance policy for your new spouse and you? It's, mm-hmm. you know, 
And so then if something dies, then your spouse still has money. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, whatever amount, but take care of, take care of your spouse. Yeah. And, and that might mean you change your beneficiaries around. It might mean you keep beneficiaries the same, but then you add on because at this the adult children in this situation from Ryan's family really, really were hurt by the choices. And I don't want that to be true for people. It, there's so much hurt with the death coupled with suicide and trauma that we just don't need this. So figure it out. I love what you've said. I feel like you've shared so many great pieces of wisdom, especially navigating a blended family um, can be tricky. And, and some of our the clients I've worked with who have been divorced previously, these, these issues are touchy in, in any blended family. It's not easy. So appreciate you sharing some of that. Is there anything else you feel like would be beneficial for our listeners to know or anything that you would advise them to do? Um, I think that what I would advise new widows is to surround yourself with with a very, 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 very small group of trustworthy people who can partner with you in finances where you can ask them questions. That might mean you are on a first name um, dial-up phone call with your financial person. But there's also, you in life, we also have great friends. And it's I have found that partnering with my friends, talking to them about some of the issues that I had to problem solve from people that I trust helped me. Just having people to talk to helps me not to feel alone with finances and that, yeah. that matters. You just don't want to be alone in making these decisions. You will have to make the ultimate decision yourself, but just surround yourself with three to five trusted advisors in your life, specifically during this time. And maybe they're different than your best friends and that's okay because it's a different need. I will give this journey to any other soul. It is really hard, but you can overcome it. It just takes time and a lot of baby steps. And if you can't, if the baby steps are still too big, then I just say pinky toe by pinky toe. That's as big as your step can be. It's still moving forward and that's just fine. Absolutely. Takes time. Mm-hmm. And and it does and I've heard too, grief never goes away, but the pit in your stomach gets a little bit softer is what I've heard. And I know it can be different for everyone, but I think you're mm-hmm. right. There is hope that things can improve in even those dark moments, right? Indeed, it really is true. That doesn't mean it's easy. You're going to have to fight really hard for your own soul, your own spirit. You're going to have to talk to yourself um, and tell yourself truths and really be intentional about your own mental health. But it is possible. 
you can overcome because we were all born to be courageous overcomers. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of He's Gone, But the Money's Not. If you'd like to explore more about the podcast or discover additional resources related to financial planning, please visit our website at rockhousefinancial.com. And remember, your financial journey is unique, but you don't have to navigate it alone. Feel free to reach out to us for financial planning services tailored to your specific needs. Once again, thank you for being part of our community. We look forward to having you back for more inspiring stories and practical financial wisdom on He's Gone, But the Money's Not. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any state or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.